Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Now, I'm not going to tell you today that there is a day that Jesus is going to return because Jesus said no man knows the day or the hour. But I will tell you this. When we see these things begin to happen, he said, look up for your redemption draws nigh. Jesus said, you don't know the day that I am returning, so be ready. Because we don't know, then you've got to stay ready. When we say as believers that we are living in the last days, what does that mean? In a day when so many are making false predictions as to when Jesus is coming back, do you find it more and more difficult to hold on to the promise that Jesus really is coming back soon? Please stay with us today as we look at the certainty we have in that hope in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and throughout Scripture. Here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we want to thank you again for your word. We thank you that it is the foundation for what we believe. We are not interested in what the philosophies of men are. We are not interested in how our culture interprets different things or different events. We're interested in what you meant when you wrote and inspired men to write your word. We want to know what you want to say by it and how you want us to live and how it is to be applied to our lives. And we pray that you would do a work in our midst by the work of your spirit. As we study your word in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. There was a um, rocket scientist in 1988. If you were a Christian in 1988, you may remember this. His name was Edgar Wisenant. He uh, began to do a study on prophecy. And as he applied, I don't know if it was rocket science to the Bible. I'm not quite sure whether rocket science and biblical interpretation go hand in hand. But as he applied this to the scriptures, he came up with an idea that Jesus was going to return by 1988. 25 million copies of his book, 88 Reasons for 88, were sold. He sent 300,000 of them out to churches. Really, when you boiled it down, it was pretty simple. The Bible says that in the last days, God is going to bring back the people of Israel, the Jewish people, back into the state of Israel. Well, they went back in in 1948. Then a biblical generation, or so they say, is 40 years. So he added 40 years to 1948, and he came up with 1988. There had already been a group of people who had said Jesus was going to come back in 81, because you have the 88 minus 7 years for the trials and tribulation period, and then you come up with 81. Jesus didn't come back in 81, so it must be 88. And uh, a lot of people listened. A lot of people came up to me. We had, we had only started. We'd only been a church for three years at the time. But a lot of people brought the booklet up to me. Have you seen this? Do you think Jesus is coming back in 1988? Well, 1988 came and went. And uh, Jesus didn't come back. It was September in 88 when he said he would come back. And uh, so he decided that he miscalculated. I mean, with a rocket science, you, just, you fail, you recalculate. So he recalculated and came up with 89 reasons for 89. Jesus didn't come back in 89. And uh, so he did some other stuff and never really repented because the Bible says, Jesus speaking, no one knows the day and the hour when I am going to return. Which interesting, in the original language means no one knows the day or the hour. 
Literally, it means no one knows the day or the hour. He died in, I think it was uh, 2001, never really repented from that. Now we fast forward to last year, and the majority of you guys were Christians last year, and you remember a guy by the name of Harold Camping. Harold Camping had had some connection with Family Radio for many years, and so he was, well, he had a some bit of authority. However, those in the church, he predicted that Jesus was going to come back for his church on May 21st of 2011. So it was almost a year ago, right? And everybody that I talked to in the church, all the people that I interact with, thought he was whack. Thought he was as far out there as he could get. I didn't meet one person who said, I think Harold Camping is right. Well, of course, May 21st, 2011 came, and May 21st of 2011 went. And so he decided he miscalculated. Shocking, huh? And that it was really in October that Jesus was going to come back. Well, not a lot of people followed him in October, and he had lost his media coverage because the media loved it for whatever reason. Harold Camping became a guy they wanted to talk about. And um, this is interesting, though. In March of 2012, he repented. He said, you know what? My critics were right. No man knows the day or the hour, and I should have never have been setting dates. To which I say to Harold Camping, there we go. Because you just don't see people repent that often. A lot of times when people start setting dates, and there's a lot of pride that goes along with it. And they're just not willing to go, I was wrong. And I love the fact that he's backed away from that now. Now what those events, all the way back to the NASA rocket scientist in 88... Uh, what those events have done is caused the church to kind of want to back away from the return of Jesus, to not really talk about it a lot, because when these people do this kind of stuff, it makes us look like we are out of touch, like we don't really have a good understanding for what's going to happen. But I want to remind you that Jesus said in John chapter 14, as he gathered his disciples together on the night that he was arrested, and he was pouring out his heart to them, and he looked out at a bunch of troubled faces. He had spoke of the, the denial of Peter, the betrayal of Judas. One of you is going to deny me. One of you is going to betray me. And all of you are going to be scattered, he had said. And their hearts were heavy. And Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I am coming back again and I will receive you where I am. He didn't say I'm going to come back to be with you, but I'm going to come back and receive you that where I am, there you may be also. Also, when Jesus ascended up into heaven in the clouds, the men of Israel, the, the disciples just kind of stood and stared up in the clouds. Jesus had gone up and he disappeared, but they just kept looking in the sky. I mean, what would you do if you were one of the 12 disciples, right? Jesus just floated up in, like a balloon and you just watched it happen. What would you do? You just, well, let's just stay here forever. We'll just look at the spot in the sky. And an angel appeared to them and said, men of Israel, why are you standing around here looking up into heaven? This same Jesus that left is going to return in the exact same way. We have a promise that Jesus is going to return for his church. And we have been given signs of the times. Jesus said, be aware of the times in which we are living, where earthquakes are going to increase. It is going to be a time of war and rumors of wars. It will be a time of pestilence. It will be a time of the raging of the seas. 
And we are living in a time when earthquakes are increasing. Scientists don't really know why. I just saw an article on it about why they think that it's increasing connected to global warming, which global warming seems to be the, boy, that's, that's the problem for everything. But it was the reason that earthquakes are increasing. It's the reason that there's more hurricanes and more severe hurricanes in our day. It's the reason that we've seen so many tsunamis as of late, which of course are connected to earthquakes that happen uh, under the ocean floor or the, the epicenter at least is near the water and ends up causing a tsunami to happen. But Jesus said, these are signs when you see these things begin to happen, look up for your redemption draws nigh. Now, I'm not going to tell you today that there is a day that Jesus is going to return because Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour. But I will tell you this, when we see these things begin to happen, he said, look up for your redemption draws nigh. Jesus said, you don't know the day that I am returning, so be ready. Because we don't know, then you've got to stay ready. He said he wanted us watching for his return. The church largely today is no longer watching for the return of Jesus, partially because of the embarrassment that we've had with people like Wisenant and camping. Jesus said, wait for me. He said, watch, wait, and be ready. And so we'll ask you at the beginning of our study today, are you watching, are you waiting, and are you ready? If he were to return right now, is everything right between you and God? Now, the reason that I'm bringing this up is because of the first verse of our text, which you kind of guessed, didn't you? It says in verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 4, now the Spirit expressly says... The NIV says, the Spirit clearly says. It's the idea that this is something that the Spirit has said and there's no doubt and there's no controversy about it. The Spirit of God expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits. Now let's talk some about latter times, last days. Whenever we have a Q&A, we just open it up to you guys and you can come ask questions. One of the questions that we'll have regularly in Q&As is, do you believe we're living in the last days and how do we know? Well, what are the last days? In Acts chapter 2, when the church was birthed, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church and the people around were watching and looking at them and going, this is strange. And Peter said, we haven't been drinking. He said, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel, who said that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now, what it means is, is that in the Old Testament, kings, prophets, priests, judges had the Holy Spirit fall upon them and empower them to lead. But in the last days, in the church age, now the Holy Spirit is not only going to be poured out upon leaders, but it's going to be poured out upon every person in the church. It's the reason Jesus said, you who are least in the kingdom of God are greater than John the Baptist. That's phenomenal. That ought to blow our minds because John the Baptist was the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. And you who are least in the kingdom of God is greater than him because of the Holy Spirit that is given to you, the power, the gifting, the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Well, that birthed the church, and from the birth of the church 50 days after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus on the day of Pentecost, you then have the church that is born, and the church has been 
around for 2,000 years. Different levels, but there's always been a remnant. The real, true church of Jesus Christ has been around for those 2,000 years. That 2,000 years is called the last days because things aren't going to change. This is what's going to happen. God's going to use the church until the day that he comes back for his church. There's not going to be another age. There's not going to be another dispensation. God's not going to begin to relate to the world in a new way. He related to the world with Israel for many years. Then Jesus came. Then you had the time of the apostles. And then you have the church age. That's not going to change until he comes back. So these are called the last days. So technically, we could say, yes, we are in the last days because they started when the church was birthed 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead on the day of Pentecost. However, there are the last of the last days. And I do believe that we are living in the last of the last days for several reasons. Number one, Jesus told us signs that would be happening during those last days. Earthquakes, wars, pestilence, rumors of wars, the raging of the seas, and these things would be like birth pains. They would be increasing. And when we see that happening and increasing, we look up. So I believe that those things are increasing. I believe we are seeing them happening more and more. In the day that we live, there was a promise that science and the furthering of medicine was going to take away a lot of these things the Bible said would be a sign of the last days, and it hasn't done it. It would be great if they could figure out scientifically how to solve the problem of world hunger. But they haven't. World hunger is greater today than it's ever been before. It would be great if science could figure out ways to cure people so there weren't all of these diseases that were out there killing people. But they haven't. And world diseases and pestilence and even where there are cures, it seems that they can't figure out how to get the people what they need to be able to cure them. Science, technology has not been the answer, and we are living in those days. There's another picture, and that is that God said in the last days he was going to restore the land of Israel. He said that the land of Israel was going to become desolate and destroyed. And for, in 66 AD, under the emperor Vespasian, his son Titus marched on Jerusalem. After marching on Jerusalem, Israel changed hands over the years, over the last 2,000 years, several different times. 400 years ago, 450 years ago, it went into the hands of the Turks that decided that they wanted to destroy the land of Israel by cutting down trees. And they went into the land and they cut down trees, making it barren and desolate. And in the late 1800s, the land of Israel was nothing more than a, a desert, barren area, or swamp areas. Then came along what is called the Zionist movement. This was a movement to replant trees in Israel. It was a movement to buy up swamp lands, to drain them, and to begin to use them to plant crops. The interesting thing is, is that God said in Ezekiel 36 and 37 that in the last days that God was going to speak to the mountains of Israel and that which is desolate would become fruitful. And we saw that happen in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. The land of Israel, which was completely desolate, became fruitful even as God had said that it would in the last days. So we know that something in God's time schedule began to happen when God began to restore the land of Israel. And then God said to the mountains of Israel, get ready. 
because my people are about to come. And he said that people, that Jews from all around the world, from the north, the south, the east, and the west, were going to gather together in Israel and that they were going to be a nation that would be born in a day. That's what Wisenant had predicted. In 1948, Israel was born in a day. Surprisingly, just as God had said those exact words, it happened. And Israel is an incredibly small nation. Do you know that the state of Rhode Island is bigger than the nation of Israel? There's 5.5 million Jews today in Israel. In 1900, there were a few thousand Jews in Israel. Today, 112 years later, there's 5.5 million that are there. They've come from all around the world. It's not because they were born there. There's a generation now being raised that was born there, but it's not because they were born there. It's because they came from all around the world. In 1984, I was the youth pastor in Calvary Chapel of Albuquerque at the time, and um, I was reading through the Bible, and I was reading through the book of Zephaniah. And it says in there that God is going to call his people out of Ethiopia. And I just remember thinking, Ethiopia, Africa, God's people being called out of Ethiopia, just kind of a question mark. I wonder how that all is going to be fulfilled, or I wonder if it's been fulfilled. Didn't really know. A few days later, I'm walking by the TV in our living room, and the news is on, and there's a weird scene. It's a, a scene of obviously African people. African because they're dressed in those, the bright orange and yellow, obviously African kind of a garb. So these are people from Africa, and they're holding flags with the Star of David on it. And it was like I walked by, and you know when the needle falls off the record? You know, you know that, kind of, that thing, kind of thing happened. And I stopped and I, I looked at the TV and I sat down and began to watch it. And I found out that there's a group of Ethiopian Jews that have been in Ethiopia for thousands of years who claimed citizenship in Israel. Because if you can prove that you have Jewish roots, you can have free citizenship in Israel. Did you know that? And so they claimed it. And so they flew to Israel and they were celebrating just as Zephaniah had said, I will call my people out of Ethiopia. In 1999, another 3,000 of them came over from Ethiopia into Israel. So that Israel becomes a sign to us that we are living in the last days. Now, it also says that God is going to surround Israel with armies. And a coalition is going to come together of Russia and Iran and Syria, and Egypt, and Lebanon, and several others, by the way. The interesting thing is, Russia, referred to in the Bible as Magog, Iran, referred to in the Bible as Persia, have never had a coalition. They have been enemies. They have never liked each other. They have never joined together for anything until just a few years ago when they have joined together in their hatred of Israel and now have a coalition to destroy Israel. And we have a very tense situation in the world today where Persia is seeking the nuclear bomb and Israel is trying to stop it and Russia is claiming to get involved in it and we might be seeing these wars and battles that God had said were going to take place around Israel forming in our very day and telling us that we are living in the last days. So, there it is. The last days, if people ask you, are we living in the last days? Then now you can say, let me explain to you why, right? 
Maybe you want to do a little research, look up some of the texts that I gave you. But when people ask me, are we living in the last days? My main answer is yes, because Israel is a nation again. God said it would happen before it happened. It was a prophecy. Never has there been a nation that wasn't a nation that became a nation again. God prophesied it was going to happen to Israel, and it happened. By the way, one more prophecy. God had said that the people in Israel were going to speak a forgotten language. Did you know that Hebrew was a forgotten language? It was a language that was not spoken, and it's a language that our team that got back yesterday, maybe some of you guys are here, maybe you got jet lag, you couldn't sleep, you were up at three in the morning this morning. You just got back and they're speaking Hebrew everywhere. You're learning Hebrew everywhere that you go. And God had said that it was going to be a language that he was going to restore. There's all kinds of prophecies about Israel, uh, those things happening. So it tells us that we're living in the last days. So when it says here in verse one, now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. Some are going to depart from the faith. This means that they are Christians who depart from the faith. It means that there are individuals who are Christians that depart from the faith in the last days. It also means that there are churches that once believed, followed, trusted in God, who are going to depart from the faith. It also means that there are denominations, not only churches, but denominations who believed, followed, trusted in Christ, and they are going to depart from the faith by deceiving spirits. There's a spiritual deception taking place and the doctrines of demons. Today, we are seeing that happen. Churches are rejecting what the Bible says. Churches are rejecting the Bible as their authority. Have you heard anybody say in churches, you know, do you, do you really believe the Bible? You really believe Adam and Eve were real people? Do you really believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale? Do you really believe that this book that was written so long ago is meant to be a guide for us today in 2012? And then they'll say, you know, I think it's got merit. I, I think it's like a giant analogy and we can learn spiritual truths in them. But as far as black and white and what we ought to believe. It's, it's not really in the pages of Scripture. They'll say things like this. You and I, we're all on a journey together and I don't know any more than you know. We're all just kind of learning together. Uh, this is the whole emergent movement. This is the emergent movement today. Rod Bell and several others that are leading this up. They don't have any authority. They don't want authority. They don't claim authority. They're simply saying, we don't really know and we're all on this together. But Jesus said, if the blind lead the blind, they both fall in a ditch. And the rejection of what the Bible says and the Bible as their authority causes them to reject salvation by faith in what Jesus did on the cross alone so that they do not believe that you are saved by Jesus alone. Jesus is a way to salvation, but by no means, according to them, is he the way to salvation. Now, Calvary Chapel is a part of what I believe to be the true and the real church today. We are only a part of it. We as Calvary Chapel are part of larger Calvary Chapel, 1,400 Calvary Chapels across the nation. I believe that we are part of the real and true church. But I also believe we're only a part of it, the Calvary Chapel in general. 
There are a lot of people who believe in the fundamentals of Scripture, that believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, that He is the only way to be saved, that God became flesh, that Jesus was God who became flesh or was God in the flesh, and that He died upon the cross, that He rose from the dead, and that He's here alive with us today. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.